And again, it's important not to get caught up in this run of form, but this run of form could ultimately, you know, maybe even if it weren't for Leicester completely shitting the bed again, really be their doom and demise. You know, Manchester United in this match dressed like zebras and shot like stormtroopers. On today's footy corner, Jose Mourinho plays the lineup Spurs fans have been waiting for, and it leads to victory at the cottage. And by Diagna, the crip Ronald McDonald shows his potential in defeat as Big Sam is facing the barrel of relegation. Twickle is spotless in 10 as the Blues top Liverpool. City tease us before exploding, and people are taking pictures on dead horses. Along with the typical comments, predictions, and gambling corner, next. And we are back on the footy corner. I hope the listeners are doing well. Today we have another solo episode, but it is the second episode of the week. So hopefully you haven't grown too tired of the footy corner yet. uh, As we had a great episode with Steve earlier in the week. Today I'm going to be running solo, but we do have a special guest on later that will hopefully uh, discuss a few things uh, with me about what's going on with Manchester United Uh, We did talk, though, I want to give the disclaimer, during the match, uh, I'm not sure if the talk would have been different post-match, but either way, we can jump into that in a little bit. Again, we approach the weekend, we got another set of matches coming up, the soccer just keeps coming fast and furious. It, It does look like, though, I will say, we will typically have mostly just weekend matches from here on out with a sprinkle of the midweek match until we have the international break to which we are looking at bringing the panel on again. So I do know there are a lot of people that love those episodes. It's been a long time coming. So look forward to that in a few weeks, but yeah, uh, aside from that, everything on this end is just, again, I asked my co-host, no co-host. I'm the co-host. So how am I doing? Well, you know, very busy with, with work. Those that are around me know that it's a, it's been a crazy semester I have two new classes that I teach, and on top of it, I this is not an exaggeration, there are 16 students that I mentor uh, that basically I meet with almost on a weekly basis to discuss various projects. So with that, you know, being in there, there's, uh, and teaching, it's difficult to catch these midweek fixtures, but I've been living in my home office with a laptop on top of my printer, which is next to my desk, just streaming games here or there. So a lot of these observations will be from watching uh, that. So you'll hear about bits and pieces, you know, but I will say I did catch the end of Liverpool-Chelsea today, and that's what we'll go ahead and start out with. What a game. That was a very up-and-down, back-and-forth, pacey match. It was only one nothing. Uh, obviously, Mason Mount with the, with the only goal of the match, but it was a very enthralling one nothing win as a neutral fan. Obviously, I think, uh, you know, if you're a Chelsea fan, you're chuffed. And if you're a Liverpool fan, it's... I've been there. You know, it's, it's, it's not a great feeling to week in, week out, lose, especially... And I'm sure it's even worse, I think, on your end because you're used to that winning from last year. Liverpool are now 36 points off the pace they were last season, which... Obviously, was an incredible pace they set. But I do want to start with the positive side of things for Chelsea. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, now unbeaten in 10 matches as a coach. But I will say this is arguably Chelsea's best win in that run. Granted, any time you go 10 matches unbeaten it is is fantastic. It's, it's a really 
something to behold, especially in the Premier League this season, uh, Premier League plus, I should say, Champions League. They did have that signature win, quote-unquote, at Atletico Madrid, which really wasn't a road match. It was counted as a road road match, uh, but that obviously took place in Bucharest, and they beat a, a Tottenham team that did not have Harry Kane. Today they've beaten, you can argue the injuries, but I feel like a, an injured Liverpool team is the best team they've faced to this point. I think they've passed the test. Uh, you know, not only have they passed the results test, I think they're also passing the eye test. They did a great job of defending today. N'Golo Kante was key in that, and, and so were the fullbacks, the outside in the in the back five, getting ahead, wreaking havoc on the counterattack. And what I saw, at least as I said, I was teaching a class the first half of it, but you know, I had the TV to the side. I watched fully a lot of the second half. What I saw was a lot of nice, what I'd call pinball passing, quick one-touch movements, moving off the ball, and it's looking more and more like Tuchel was the right move. I'll put my hands up, and you know, I was one that said, "Hey, you got to give uh, Lampard, you got to give a new person time." But they've brought in the German Tuchel, and he's been outstanding with this. You know, changed the system, looked at the players he had, and he's starting to play people at the positions that work out. Ben Chilwell, after sitting a few games, has been outstanding. Uh, today he opted to play Reese James as he had um, a player, Marcos Alonso, who's been playing really well, kind of take the bench. Obviously there's congested fixtures going on. Chelsea did a good job, as I said, of defending, and what that caused uh, is it allowed them really to set up that counterattack. It allowed Ziyech to kind of bounce some balls toward Mount, toward Werner, who were really active in running on to balls. And I, I kind of am wanting to ask, I know that this doesn't help Brian in his bet, but is Timo Werner the new Roberto Firmino? You know, he's not scoring the goals. Now, coming into it, you you didn't think that'd be the case. He was banging goals left and right. He's not scoring them, but he is creating a lot of issues. He almost had one today. There was a goal that was called back in the 24th minute for offside. Uh Clearly, it was an offside, uh, and there's no argument, I don't think, on anyone's end. It was close, but that was off. Uh, but he, he wreaked a lot of havoc, and again, uh, Mason Mount has been uh, outstanding too, and I'm regretting not putting him on my Mount Rushmore, as I'll cover a bit later. So really, a lot of great stuff from Chelsea. You saw their engine room work hard. I saw a clip that uh, Tuchel was talking to Jorginho at half, really animated, uh, really getting his point across these players. But again, it's important to note that's the early stage of a, of a manager taking over a club. So you have to be very mindful and careful. You have to see how this team will do when you project them out 10 more games from now, 20 more games from now, you know, and into next season. Will they continue that form uh, going forward? But it's looking good for the Blues, and I'm sure a lot of Chelsea fans ought to be really happy with what they're seeing. Chelsea now jumps into fourth place on 47 points, three behind Leicester, who's banged up right now, four behind Man United, who oof, doesn't look great, and one ahead of Everton, who does have a game in hand. Uh, they've ex- extended their lead over Liverpool to four points. Now, I will switch over and talk a bit about Liverpool. It's been a bit of a struggle, to say the least. Uh, this is a side that... You know, they they were pushing to attack today, and again, they got caught on, on a counter. Again, it took a really good strike for, for the goal to happen, but there were one or two other times they did look like they were prone to getting uh, caught on the counter, but again, that's kind of what's going to end up happening with this system. 
I will say there is there was a call. It was in the 48th minute or so, I believe. And Firmino was putting a cross in, and it hit Conte's hand. And a lot of people are going to wonder probably what my take is. They all have, I'm sure you all have your own takes on it. Uh, I will say this. I think if you want to be consistent across the league, not the direction they're going in with the hand, not the way I think the game should be called, but if they wanted to be consistent, I think for them to not even look at it on VAR was criminal. I think I've seen calls that were made on less egregious handballs. His hand was off of his body. It was not uh, It was not tucked in. It, you could argue it was in a quote-unquote natural position. I think by the way the rules are called this season, that's a pen. Do I think that's a pen the way the rules are going? No. Because I think they're going to go back and look at balls that are hit at close proximity. And I think, again... I think the game needs to be played in a way that that is not a penalty. So it's a, it's a second, or th- it might be the second time in three episodes that I agree with what the call, you know, the call being made on the field. But I don't think it was right per the laws of the game that are currently out there. Again, it's a very gray area. But again, I, I don't think that's what caused what occurred today. Uh, I, I found that it, there were a few subs made by Klopp that were interesting. I do realize teams are rotating a lot. But I don't know if taking Mohamed Salah out in the 62nd minute, when you have Fulham coming up, I, again, I get it. You want to rotate your teams. Uh, there are the, the matches are coming in hot and heavy. They did just play Sheffield on the 28th. Uh, but I'm sitting here thinking you have 30 minutes left in a game. You're losing to Chelsea by one. And again, your next match is Fulham at home. And I understand that Home hasn't been the same without fans. But I don't understand why Salah came off. It it, it was a little baffling to me. Again, um, you know, Klopp trying to keep players fresh. I I would have maybe opted to rest him. You could rest another one of those front three against Fulham. You could play a Diego Yota, who's, who's, you know, now healthy. That was a positive. He was there today. So that was good. Um, And again, they showed... Some signs, but again, when they got to the final third, nothing good really happened. I think the first attempt on target was the 85th or 86th minute. And of course, the first part of that falls to none other than Ozan Kabak. And we know how we all feel about Ozan Kabak right now. Uh, You know, looking at the grand scheme of things, again, Liverpool now fall to seventh place. They are four points out of a Champions League spot. And... It's it's this is the point that they need to turn things around. You know, is it possible? Yeah, their their fixture list does still include West Brom. It does include Southampton. It includes Burnley on it. It includes Fulham. So it's there for the taking. Newcastle, but they need to start winning games, and they've lost five in a row at home, which is the first time they've ever done that in their history. They're the first league champion, also to lose five in a row at home. And another damning stat is they have 10 points in 11 Premier League fixtures here in 2021. Only West Bromwich with nine, Newcastle with seven, and Southampton with four have fewer points in their 2021 campaign. Just looking at this side of the the, uh, calendar. Now, you know, with that said, and, and with the things about Liverpool going on, I will say this. 
these losses at home, I get that every team also is playing without fans. But I will say I think that Liverpool is a team that is very much affected because their fan base is loud. So you can sit back again and say that teams have the same advantage or disadvantage as the others. But you can't argue that some teams have a better home field advantage because their fans really show up and really help bring the energy more than other fans. And I'm not here to debate which fans do that more than others. But I am here to say that Liverpool at Anfield is one of those groups that is up there. If not top one, the top three of atmospheres. And I think the players not only are dealing with injuries, but they're also very shorthanded without their fans. So that's my take on them. But again, they need to turn it around quick. Otherwise, they're going to be sitting there out of Champions League, maybe even out of Europa, unless they win Champions League, unless they unless they have to put all their eggs in that basket. They're in big trouble. Again, Chelsea going the exact opposite way. Everyone let us know at the footy corner too what you think these teams need to do to get into Champions League. And is Chelsea now in the uh, kind of on the ends there? Are they above 50% now to make Champions League? This is pretty crazy because I remember back in November, I said, yep, they're going to get in. And I got laughed at. And I got laughed at more when they stunk. Uh, and now here they are surging again with a new manager. So, hey, there's that little bounce they have going. Let's now move to a team that is higher than both of them in the table but is not playing at that level. Manchester United still in second on 51 points, uh, but another disappointing match. It was a 0-0 draw against Crystal Palace. Granted, it was at Palace. They were under very foggy conditions, uh, but... Not only was it because of the fog, the action was just so lacking. We talked about a great game in Liverpool and Chelsea that occurred today, yesterday, if you're listening to this on Friday. Crystal Palace and Manchester United was very, very poor. It was not a good game. Again, there was fog. David De Gea uh, is going to be gone for personal reasons. They're having a, a His wife is pregnant, very close to having a baby, if they haven't already had it now. So he's going to be out a while because obviously you have to quarantine now to get back in. Dean Henderson now has his chance to take the role. But he really, on this day, didn't have too much to do until the 90th minute where he made a big save on Patrick Van Aanholt. But again, that could have been offside. That was Had that gone to VAR, I think that may have been off. But nonetheless, makes the save. Uh, outside of that, nothing going for Palace. Man United, I must say... Another 0-0. They've had three straight 0-0 results after drawing Chelsea 0-0 and also with Sociedad in Europa League. They've been they've been in a slew of matches that they just don't score, which is odd considering they've only scored three less goals than Manchester City on the season. They have the second most goals, but you wouldn't be able to tell that. And again, it's important not to get caught up in this run of form, but this run of form could ultimately, you know, maybe even if it weren't for Leicester, completely shitting the bed again, really be their doom and demise. You know, Manchester United in this match dressed like zebras and shot like stormtroopers. 11 shots on, 11 shots with only one on target against the Crystal Palace team that did not have Wilfred Zaha, did not really have any threats going forward. And 
you know, most of these chances were in the first half for United. So as bad as that first half was, the second was even worse. Again, I think their closest chance was Mason Greenwood in the 82nd minute on a curler that just missed going up or 90, but that counted as a shot that missed the target. So, you know, United, it's, it's, it's a very interesting case. You look at the stats, you look at the numbers, as always, they look good. You watch the match, and you wonder how they've gotten to that place. Uh, but... I will say that uh, a lot of their fans, uh, I think, are happy with where they sit in the table. I think it's good I talked to Jeremy before the ending of this match. The other thing to wonder is, is United getting tired? Are these 0-0s because they're fatigued and they're sitting back and trying to defend? The reason I say that is that Manchester United has four of the top five players in minutes played in 2020-21. Four of the top five. Harry Maguire has played the most minutes. Aaron Wan-Bissaka is second. Marcus Rashford is fourth. And Bruno Fernandes is fifth, while Yuri Tielemans is kind of the baloney in their sandwich there. Uh, also, Bruno, I must say, you know, we talk about him getting tired because this team goes as Bruno goes. We all know that. In this game, it was the 24th time that Bruno Fernandes has completed 90 minutes in a Premier League match for United, but the very first time that he has not attempted a shot on goal. So, again, things that, you know, the stats look good, but the optics don't look great. You wonder if they're just getting tired. Let me go back to those stats that look good. United are the fifth team to remain unbeaten in their first 14 away top flight matches in a season after Leeds did it in 73-74, Liverpool in 87-88, and Arsenal in 01-02 and 03-04. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but to get kind of the insight and an understanding on how Liverpool is is playing uh, as a team or the insights from how their fans feel, we got a special guest coming on. So I'm going to go ahead and turn over. He's been on the show twice. Let's turn it over to United supporter Jeremy Marks. <laughs> And today's guest we welcome on the show, top lad, three-time now recurring guest. So he's a footy corner legend now, uh, big Manchester United fan, uh, Jeremy Marks. Jeremy, how's everything going for you over there? Thanks, man. Can't complain. Yeah, I mean, it's going pretty well. You know, Maui's pretty nice, so there's the worst place in the world to be, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I thanks for having say. me on the show. Always appreciate it, yeah. Your background <laughs> looks amazing. So what are you up to over there? Um, just kind of getting away for a little while. Um, honestly, I had some days of PTO I needed to use, so here we are. Um, the whole fam came out, though, which is nice. Uh, we were in Oahu for the weekend, and we're about for the rest of the week till Sunday, so. Okay, nice. That's pretty solid there. So, again, we'll, uh, we'll tr- kind of keep this short so you can enjoy time with them, but really appreciate having <laughs> you on, coming on, taking time out of a family vacation. Everyone listen to that. This is time, uh, family vacation. The top lad is making his appearance to talk some Manchester United. Um, Always. Yeah, there you go. It's been it's been looking good. So to this point this season, United sit in second. They're currently actually in the middle of a match right now. Um, yep. Obviously not not in the race to win the title, but they're in a very good spot for top four because I mean no one's yep. in the race to win the title. Uh, as a United right. fan, how would you evaluate their season to this point? Yeah, I mean I say the whole thing's uh, it's a real success. I mean if you went into this season as United fan, you had expectations to try and make the top four right and i think at the moment we're kind of exceeding that so i'd say while some people had claims of like we should be winning the season you know that kind of thing i don't think we're there at a man city level yet to be 
um, you know, bring your real push to the title. So I'm, I'm thrilled with how this season. Yeah, you guys are getting some great play out of Bruno. Uh, the young lads are stepping up. Just like you'd mentioned before, you talked a lot about the young guys stepping up. They're doing that. I was going to say, yep. it's, pretty, it's pretty tough to be city level. So to be the best of the rest right now is pretty good. <laughs> right. And I mean, honestly, like, you know, I have my comments about Liverpool, as I always will. But I feel like they would be there if they didn't have, like, a, you know, high school team at the back line right now. So <laughs> as, with that with that being the case, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a city year for sure. Um, but I'm very, very proud of how we've done so far. I'm with you on that. You make a good point. That center back pairing right now is a combined age of 43, which is banana lands. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. But, but moving on, you guys have some uh, some big matches coming up uh, in the league and in Europa. I'll get to those in a second. But what do you expect from here on? Where do you expect United to finish within the Premier League? And also, how do you feel about their chances in Europa? Yeah, so, I mean, I'd say the Premier League, I, I would expect them to finish second. Uh, at this point, given how the season has gone, I mean – other teams have had their good spouts of form. You know, Chelsea look like they're turning around a little bit with Tuchel, but um, I would expect this United team to finish second just based on how we played and how we seem to be continuing to play. Um, in terms of the matches ahead in terms of Europa League, uh, I mean, I would love to see a cup run. You know, I, I think that's always great, even if it is Europa League, not Champions League. Um, but realistically, I mean, Europa League's got some pretty solid teams in there. So, you know, I would really rather focus on trying to make top two in the Premier League as opposed to Europa League. Um, but I'd say, you know, a semifinal finisher better would probably be, you know, still really great. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I was going to say those draws, you never know who you're going to get. You know, you can't really exactly. judge a team what round they're out on. You guys are playing AC Milan. So that should be heck of yeah. watching there. It should be fun to watch. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so with that said, a lot of good rainbowy thoughts. Now, here comes the tough part. Here comes the cloudy bit. In the past six matches against top six teams, I'm sure you've heard this. Man United have scored zero goals. Now, granted, they've only given up one, right? A lot of zero-zero draws. Now, you extend that one game back that you might not want to hear about the Tottenham defeat. That's zero wins, five draws, two losses, with one goal, four, and seven against against top teams. My question is, what do you think the reason for that might be, and is that a concern? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's a really interesting um, dynamic because if you looked at this United team last year, the big, the big games are where we showed up and we couldn't play the small team. So now it's like really flipped where we're really capitalizing in those smaller team games but we can't seem to play against the big six. You know, I think a lot of that is, you know, OGS is still trying to find his identity with his team. We're still building. Uh, we're still getting new players. I mean, look at Bruno, right? People want to be captain. He's only been there for, you know, a few months. So it's kind of hard to make a real determination yet. So I think, I think a big thing for us is um, just getting more experience under our belt, you know. Um, kind of solidifying that back line a little bit um, and just having this team play more together. You know, I would obviously love to see Donnie Van de Beek have a lot or a larger role, but even great players like him are having a hard time trying to fit into this system. So um, if it's not broken, don't fix it, you know, but at the same time, I think it's just going to take a little bit more of a uh, time together uh, before we really um, start capitalizing on those bigger games. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds that sounds pretty spot on because, again, you look at the last six, it's like you might be no goal for, but only one again. So he's, he's really got the defense working together. And as you said, it takes a little time, especially for the newer players to come in. Now, you guys do have, speaking of those, he does have time to make it right here. The upcoming fixture list after this Palace game today yep. is uh, at City, Milan, West Ham, uh, at Milan, and then at Leicester. So it's I tough. feel like uh, – <laughs> How how do you think they'll do in that one? Do you think they would adjust and, and do better than they've done kind of in the past? Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting this year because, I mean, Milan, 
Milan is another one of those teams where, like, last year they were non-existent, you know, to an extent. And now here they are, like, a real force. And I'm a, a big Milan guy for Italy, so I, I fully support that. But, I mean, City City are unbeatable right now. I would love to see a draw in that game. I feel like it would be a fair result. West Ham concerns me a little bit just because um, with David Moyes, his manager, right, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. So you got David Moyes, the manager. He knows the club. Also, Jesse Lingard recently also knows the players, their strengths, their weaknesses. So, I mean, that's it's, it's going to be a real battle of the minds, I feel like, for that West Ham game. So, I don't really know. Um, you know, I don't have too many expectations for it. I would love to see a draw or win, of course. Um, but, you know, I just as OGS says, you know, win or lose, you get, you get through it and you go on to the next one. So, I'm, I'm optimistic for the next, you know, five games. I will be, it'll definitely be an enjoy to watch, but um, it'll be tough. I mean, and that's just all part of it. So. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's kind of what makes it fun when you get to step up to those big games and you've been doing well, you've had a team that shows some good results, has a good run of form. I mean, you guys haven't lost in a long time. Sure. There've been some draws in there, but I, yep. I, mean, I don't think you guys have lost since January. So um, right. pretty good run there. Uh, the last thing, and we we always ask you this, but I mean, times change, things change, the players change. Obviously, Absolutely. one of the best positions United has been in that we've done an interview with you. Um, you're, you're Ole. <laughs> Again, I know Ed Woodward isn't the guy you like to approach. I know how you feel about yep. Ed Woodward. Yep. Uh, but say you're Ole and you're going to approach Ed Woodward. Name me at, at this point in time, looking at this squad, one, and you give a type of player, and if you can't, even just an example of a name that you are going to try to buy this summer to make that leap to join the echelon of the cities and a healthy Liverpool, as you'd say. What's that one signing? I mean, I know it's never one, but if you had to pick one main signing, what would that be? So, you know, it's really, it's obviously a tough question. It's really interesting to ask it at this particular time. You know, it's really funny player I'm going to mention because I've, you know, despised him and rooted against him for so long. Uh, but Sergio, Sergio Ramos is that guy. Yes. Um, right now, it's just, uh, I mean, our big thing, I mean, here's the thing about United, though. I think there's a lot of drama within the camp. Uh, if you look at Pogba, for example, the guy's nowhere to be found for like six months, and now he's playing fantastically again. Luke Shaw, absolute dustbin player until Alex Dellis gets here. And then Alex Dellis gets here, and then he's just, like, electric. So I think there's a lot of behind the scenes in the camp that we can't really see. But Sergio Ramos, as much as I can't stand the guy, having played for Real Madrid for so many years, he's an excellent center back. You know, one of the best, probably, of our time. Uh, he's got great leadership qualities. He will pull that defense in order and shape them together, even if they have been playing better recently. Um, I think it's very obvious. Um, if you put Kylian Mbappe against Lindelof and Maguire, there's no chance, you know. So there's very few players in the world that can do that. Um, but I think Sergio Ramos brings, not only brings that athleticism, but brings that experience and leadership as well, which I think something is really lacking in United, especially from a vocal standpoint. Maguire brings it, but he can't back it up with the skill. Ramos has all the above. So if there's one signing I'd like to see, I mean, uh, if I'm OGS, I would try to go for Ramos, especially if it's on a free price, you know. I was going to say, I really love that shot. I wasn't even thinking about that. And, I, and, and when you mentioned it, I said, okay, that would be, a, to me, a great upgrade. No offense to Lindelof, but if you put, right. him, if you put him with Maguire, they complement each other, and you have a really tough, nasty defensive pairing that, like you said, teams are not going to want to go in the box against these guys because it could come out pretty bad for them. So Exactly. And the, the thing about that as well is, you know, the has always had his ups and downs ever since Fergie left. Um, but like, I do think adding a Spanish member of that back line would really give him some solidity in what he's doing. Um, I think it would help the two of them a lot, actually. 
Yeah, you're right. You make a great point. A lot of people don't take into mind the connections and languages that people speak and how big of a difference that makes. I know in FIFA, there's that connection tool. But outside of that, you know, if you're analyzing a game, you don't see that. Yeah. I think that's a great shout. You, you've seen it actually with Chelsea. They've kind of Frenchified their back line and yep. now their, their defense is much better. Um, yeah, that would be I think that'd be a great. I mean, I wasn't even really that wasn't on my radar of thought. But now that you said it. That's a really great sign because I think they're loaded with all these attacking players, young players that, that can really get the onus in, into the attack. So I think Sergio Ramos getting that voice that, like you said, because I know in the past you've mentioned Pogba, you need to, you know, that's a that's a soap opera. He's not a leader. You need to kind of move him on. You yeah. have money. Um, and they've done pretty decently with and without him in the lineup. It's just uh, yeah. know, McTominay and Fred have done well. So I think that'd be awesome. Uh, we'll see if that happens because he is, like you said, I think he's on a free. So um, yep. a lot of big names out there this summer. So we'll see what happens. Um, so again, I, I thank you. I know you, you got some vacation stuff to do. Are there any other <laughs> comments you'd like to make or things you'd like to let some people out there on the footy corner know about? Um, no, not really. I mean, it's, it's been a really interesting campaign so far. I'm really excited for fans to get back in the stadium. Uh, I think the big talk of the summer is going to be uh, Erling Holland uh, and where he goes. Uh, obviously, I love them at Dortmund myself, but obviously Dortmund is like Ajax. You know, they produce players, they sell them. That's their business model. So I would love to not see him at Liverpool, um, and I would love to see him in a you know United shirt or something of that sort. But at the end of the day, like you said, we're loaded with those attacking players, so I would really try to focus on some of those key areas we haven't. Um, but yeah, always a pleasure being on the show. Um, you know, happy to come back anytime. Uh, look forward to keeping in touch and all that business. Yeah, I was going to say real quick before we go off Holland, it might be a case of get him before another team does because I was hearing United, Liverpool, Chelsea, like all those teams. And you don't, while you might, you know, while they're, while you're loaded, you don't want to see him on one of those other teams. So exactly. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> you never know. Maybe, maybe you'll pull up a purse string there and, and grab him as well. So that'd be awesome. But again, right. pleasure having you. Appreciate it. Uh, enjoy, enjoy Hawaii. Get some sun for all of us. And uh, we'll like a plan, man. again soon, buddy. We'll do it. Thanks. All right. Beautiful views. Take it easy. Yeah. Yeah, you too. Bye. Again, a big footy corner. Thanks to Jerem for coming on. Uh, Much appreciated. He's on his trip in Hawaii, uh, but he was able to come for a bit, talk to us about Man United, and uh, we'll see how it goes for them this season. Really, it's... um, you know, it's up in the air, but I think they they still lie kind of in a good position to finish in the top four, uh, despite, you know, this recent result. <clears throat> Even if you look at, you know, the 538 projections, they, they've come in at 80%. You know, they're projected as the second team. So despite getting the draw this week and, and looking a bit toothless in attack, they're still getting the clean sheets and they're still keeping pace uh, in terms of their... Uh, how they're going against the other teams, you know, not necessarily City. City's kind of on their own island now. Speaking of which, let's go to the team that is ninety over 99% projected to win the league. Uh, Man City 4, Wolves 1. This was an interesting game. It was a bit wild in the sense that uh, City dominated. You know, you look at the statistics of that, it's, it's pretty crystal clear who the dominant side was in that Manchester City, in terms of possession, had 72% to Wolves' 28. They had 22 goal attempts to Wolves' 6, and then 10 of those on target to Wolves' 1. But after 61 minutes, after Connor Cody <laughs> scored on Wolves' first touch in the box, 
after Denonka had scored an own goal, so really Wolves had scored the first two goals. Just unfortunate for them that one was on their own. And oddly enough, uh, Dendonker is the second leading own goal getter for Wolves after Connor Cody, who had tied the match. But then in the last 10 minutes, City just went into superpower mode, scored those three goals. Gabriel Jesus shows up with two of them, and Riyad Mahrez gets one in there as well. As I said, just a complete domination, even though it looked like with 10 minutes left that they might break that winning streak. I mean, again, think about it. We're talking about straight-up wins, not even draws. So this streak is not something to scoff at, really. Steve says, did Wolves lay out the roadmap to beating City? You can almost argue they laid out a roadmap, roadmap in hopes of drawing City. Uh, but but again, you know, you saw what happened there, how they came together at the end and got the job done. And actually, that leads me, you know, I was going to wait until the comments, but I was going to share, uh, you know, Jeff sent out this article from uh, 9320.com. Uh, obviously... I mean, it says it was written by Howard Hawken, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's Jeff's burner name. So I'm going to start calling Jeff Howard Hawken. Uh, it says, uh, a cutout and keep guide to demeaning Manchester City's achievements. And it starts with Manchester City have won 20 games on the uh, on the row. Manchester City are 1-200 to to win the Premier League. Manchester City have gone on a record-breaking run in the middle of a pandemic. Pep Guardiola has brushed aside all criticisms of him and is on the verge of leading his team to a third league title in four years. Manchester City, unlikely as it is, could still win an unprecedented quadruple this season. I mean, they still have to. I mean, they've never won a Champions League, so you still have to do that. By the way, he did throw shade at me about Arsenal and what Erling Holland said. He could very well have said that about your team, Jeff. Uh, you know, so he he points out here that here are the steps that you could take to assure yourself that your club is greater than Manchester City, making fun of what people say. One, make it clear you don't care. I think we've seen this on this show earlier in the year. You know, say that City win 20 games in a row, don't care. City win the league, don't care. So it's a list of things that, you know, people in the past have said, well, that's a team that doesn't evoke emotion. You know, that, that you know, this. I, I think Jeff wrote this. I really do. Uh, it says, forget the definition of English words, meaning that, for example, claim City's 20-man a 25-man squad is bigger than every other club's 25-man squad. What you really mean to say is they're deeper. I don't think we've had that problem here. Uh, level playing field, claiming that, uh, you know, saying that because Pep has limitless spending, that Manchester City can overcome injuries. I mean, it's true. Uh, exploit the current climate. So talking about the pandemic and, and crowds and people that make fun of the fact that City don't have crowds, call City boring, raise the bar. So there's this long list here um, that I think Jeff took a whole day to write uh, in terms of the article. I must know. So what the, the pen name that you have, Jeff, or the burner name is Howard Hawken. He wrote this on March 2nd. Uh, so we'll move on from uh, from City there uh, as they, you know, they keep it rolling. I don't think there's too much more to say there. Obviously looking very impressive, especially in the final 10 minutes. Uh, it did make for exciting TV. Let's now move to a team that did, you know, get a win here uh, that needed one. Tottenham, one nothing winners over Fulham at Craven Cottage. Uh, it wasn't a, on an Adara Biayo own goal, but it really was set up by the work of Harry Kane, or sorry, uh, Hung Min Son, not Harry Kane. Yikes. 
setting up Deli Ali, who was in the lineup. A lot of Spurs fans that I, I follow on Twitter that I know were excited with the lineup. They were super excited. This is what this is the lineup they wanted to see since September. Um, you know, ever since Gareth Bale came in on loan, this is the lineup they want to see Harry Kane up front with Son, uh, Deli, and Bale behind him. The front four they've looking for, and they have Endombele and uh, Hoiberg uh, in the in the kind of hole behind them. And really, this was their best lineup, minus I think if you put Regulon out wide instead of Davies. Although Davies has been good, so you got to reward him. And uh, in the middle, they did bring Alderweireld in, as I had mentioned on the pod. I think Jose listens to this pod. I really do. We we talked about Delhi. We talked about Alderweireld. These guys played this match. Davinson Sanchez though did play, but I think it's probably because of the footedness of uh, of Eric Dyer, and so he probably got the call over Dyer. Um, again, that you know, I go back to that that goal. Uh, Deli Ali looked really good in this match. He linked up real well with Son and Bale. I really kind of wish that goal had stayed with him, mostly because I do have Son in fantasy, so it would have been nice to get those points. But again, those connections were there, so it really makes you wonder what Jose Mourinho was thinking, what he saw uh, that that was not allowing him to play Deli. Because you you think that this is occurring because of rotation. You know, they're playing a team like Fulham, so he thinks, okay, let me go ahead and put put him in and, and see what happens. There wasn't too much going for Fulham in this match. They did have a chance from uh, Maja right before the half, and he skied one over the bar, and on the other side of the half, Anderson hits the bar uh, with, a head, with a header. So, you know, F- Fulham kind of grew into it after... I'm sorry, I, did, I said they didn't have chances. I meant to say in the first half. Fulham grows into it after that point, and... They had a moment where, <laughs> this is great, Ruben Loftus-Cheek gets it and, and skies one. I believe it was around the 60th minute. And the reason I bring that one up is because I saw a post in, in one of the many groups that I'm in and kind of follow uh, in regards to Ruben Loftus-Cheek. The, the guy said, more like Loftus-Cheeks, this man is ass. So... <laughs> Uh, it was it was really uh, a lot going on there, and then Maja did score one. It got called back for a Lamina handball pretty late in the match. It was harsh. It was. It really was because the ball was slammed into his arm. His arm wasn't out. But the rules of the game are if it hits an offensive player's hand, no matter how it happened, no matter how it happened, to get into the position for the goal scorer to score the goal, they're going to call that. So really. I, to me, Tottenham played a really good first half, and after that one chance that Maja had just before the break, the tides turned, and you saw Jose play that play that game where he backs off and has his team play super defensive, and I'm sure their fans love that. Uh, but you know, hey, this time it worked. They hold on for the win. They get the three points that are needed, and you know, you go look at the the table right now, and Tottenham sit in eighth place, one point behind Liverpool with a game in hand. So you're looking at what, five points behind Chelsea with that game in hand. Uh, But again, not every game in hand is one. Shout out Jeff Paris. Uh, Let's now go to a team that also needed a win, kind of coming off uh, a mini, what I'll call a mini rough stretch here. Um, I'm sorry, they've won three in a row after coming off a mini rough stretch, uh, after losing to Fulham, and then of course City's okay. Everton now winning against Liverpool, Southampton, and this one West Brom, 1-0. But I will say that West Brom, to me, looked like the better side for a lot of the match. You know, they, they were very dangerous in the first 20 minutes. If you get a chance, look at Mbai Diagna. He's, you can't miss him. He's the lad with blue hair, 
He looks like a renegade out there, and he did really good work for West Brom up front. And he he had so many chances early. He set up a few chances. But, of course, Richie scores Richarlison in his fourth straight game in the 65th minute. And Everton really grew into it after they scored. But what what I think of is, okay, you know, a game against a team like West Brom, I guess they might have been t- turned off for it. But, you know, you really don't want to wait until the 65th minute to get it going. And that makes me a little worried about Everton that a, a better team will take advantage of that slow start. A better team that could finish would have been up 3-0 at halftime on them. Uh, but again, you know, you also look at the end of the match. Dion also had a goal called back for offsides. It was the right call. Big Sam was fuming. Uh, but again, you know, that's that's just the look of a manager that knows his, his side is getting relegated. And he's going to not be able to get a team out of relegation for the very first time. And it happens. That's okay. You know, you're not going to always get teams out of relegation when you're put into the positions that Big Sam is put in. I will say this to defend Everton a little bit. You can always say that, you know, it seems like it's this time of the year, the turn into March, where those teams that are on the relegation line, we look at Sheffield United who have 14 points now, West Brom who have 17, Fulham who have 23, all of them trying to catch up to Newcastle and Brighton right now at 26 points. Those teams somehow get some mad superpowers. Like those teams that are in the relegation zone just tend to get some some new gear. They hit a new gear that for some reason, I don't know why, they didn't hit it earlier in the season. So to give credit to West Brom there, they did play well. And Everton really, you know, again, I think they got lucky they played a team that is not as good. But, you know, hey, West Brom showed signs. I still think that West Brom's in too big of a hole. They're nine points away from safety with 11 matches left. I think that's a bit much considering that they're not even on that pace to get that many points in 11 matches. So we'll see what what they can do with that. We'll see if Everton can stay afloat. They're in fifth. They're one point behind Chelsea. They do have a game in hand. Uh, you know, but looking at their at their fixture list, looking at what's going to happen, looking at how they've played, I'm a little worried. They play Chelsea coming up. That'll be a great match. That'll be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and they do face City in the FA Cup, but in terms of the league, you know, they finish against City as well. They still have Arsenal and, and Tottenham on back-to-back weekends. They play at West Ham. So they still have a, a few tests coming up that we'll have to see how they do. We'll have to see how Ancelotti gets them going and see if they can go in the top four because the 538 projections for them, believe it or not, are very low, 11%, which is really odd to me considering where they stand in the table. But, you know, they, there's that. It projects them to finish 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Uh, that, I think, is wrong. But but I can see teams pouncing on them if they fall asleep. It seems like the last two matches against Southampton and West Brom, it, it's like they knew they were playing a weaker side, so they just kind of played down to the competition. So we'll see how they respond against Chelsea. To close out the week, again, a shortened, jumbled week. Burnley and Leicester draw 1-1. Vidra with an early goal for Burnley in the in the fourth minute. Ayanacho answers, but again, these are points, and, and Burnley's not been that good of a team, and they just got blown out by Tottenham. These are points that Leicester doesn't want to drop, and we're starting to see the Brendan Rodgers decline every year. You know, we thought this would be the year it wouldn't happen. You know, Leicester sitting third, but they, you know, ever as I said, Everton's only four points away from them with a game in hand. Chelsea's three points away from them. West Ham is five points away from them. You know, Liverpool's seven, but 
at the rate Leicester's going with the injuries they have that Steve and I had discussed just a few days ago, it, it could be difficult. It could be real difficult because, you know, they get through this little stretch. They have a couple nice matches on the fixture list coming up, and then it becomes City uh, at West Ham. They still have to play at United. They play at Chelsea. Their last three games are at United, at Chelsea, and Tottenham. So they don't want to be in any position in the last three games of the season that that allows them to drop out of the top four. And a result like this hurts. And then finally, as I said, those relegation teams that get superpowers, Sheffield United beating Aston Villa 1-0, McGoldrick the goal in the 30th minute, and they even fended off Aston Villa for an extra 33-plus minutes after Phil Jagielka got sent off. Uh, you know, hey, that's credit to Sheffield for... For hunkering down, again, I think that's a team that's dead in the water, but here they are busting their tails and really kind of screwing up any chance. Not that I thought Villa would fight their way up there, but in terms of European soccer, out of sixth place, Villa's six points out. with They had a couple games in hand. Well, they blew this one pretty bad. So if you ask me, I think that's, that's a game, you know, speaking of Leicester, losing a chance that they really shouldn't have, you know, to me... That's what Aston Villa just did here. Uh, so let us know what you thought of these matches at the footy corner, too. Let's jump into the comments that we didn't cover. So this one came in a little after I did part one. Jeff sent a picture and tagged also Brian in it. And it's it's one of, it's that meme where the uh, the lady's whispering in, in the guy's ear. And it says, William has more assists than Ziek and Pulisic combined. And then it has the... Um, uh, Mr. Krabs from SpongeBob, you know, spinning in a circle with Chelsea's, you know, logo on his face. So that is pretty wild. Although I, I do know, and I think that William had two or three of those assists in the first game of the season against Fulham. Also, you have injuries from Pulisic and Ziyech. They've been, you know, they've been injured for a bit. I mean, I think I'd still take either one of those guys over him, you know, a million times out of a million. But hey, the stats are the stats, and I guess that's what Jeff says. Uh, I mean, he's not wrong. It's it's five to four in that regard in terms of assists. A, a funny thing that came up for those that have the NBC Sports feed in the Manchester United game. If you looked at the subs bench, uh, Amadiello made his made one of his few uh, plays on the bench for United. He's the guy they got from Atalanta. They were supposed to sign him over the summer, but it kind of dragged a little past. So he was he pretty much signed like right when January hit. And he still, I think, played a bunch of games in their U23s. Again, he made the bench for this one. But his name on NBC Sports showed up as F.Last19. So whoever was in charge of the templates definitely did not get to that one. Either that or just didn't know who that was. And you know, it was like, you know what, fuck this. I'm just going to leave it at F.Last19. And if F.Last19 comes in and scores, well, that's on me. That, you know, hey, that's, that's what happens. <laughs> Brian uh, says... To Steve about what he said a couple days ago on the pod, you're speaking my language with the whole cleverly thing. I always thought the exact same thing. So a lot again with the the English spe- uh, announcers and how they go about things. Uh, yeah, I mean there there are a lot of things they say that I remember when we're all watching at the beginning we'd get confused. Uh, I know one time a good a good friend of mine, Phil, who I, I don't think he'll be listening. Hopefully he is. If he is, Phil, shout out. Uh, we. We once got into a cab, and literally, because we had been watching Premier League all morning and drinking, uh, we were getting into a cab, I think, to go out, and we started speaking in English accents, uh, acting like we were from England, and we got the uh, Uber driver to, to believe 
that we were from England, and uh, yeah, it was uh, <laughs> we we had a kick out of it. I'm sure everyone has had their had their fun, but we used a lot of the slang uh, and, and the terminology they use. Uh, it just came in, I think, yesterday. Uh, Weston McKinney uh, has permanently moved to Juventus. Little do people know he was still a Schalke player. So that struggling team, uh, luckily that loan move became permanent for him, thankfully, because it looks like Schalke is getting relegated. But he has been great for Juventus. And again, it's another big thing for U.S. soccer. It's a big thing for Weston McKinney. And I think that uh, he's shown up really well for them this season. So that's it's great to see uh, kids like him getting their shot and being able to improve and hopefully uh, making a big impact for his own career and also potentially uh, the U.S. national team. So that'd be that'd be pretty outstanding. So just some tidbits now before we jump into some other topics. This coming out of the Newcastle camp, and again, it's a big reason I feel like they're going to get relegated. Matt Ritchie called Steve Bruce a coward in a training ground uh, bust-up with the Newcastle boss physically confronting and barging his winger after being told he had done fuck-all for him in the wake of public criticism for the Wolves' equalizer. So, I guess, so again, sorry, Steve Bruce kind of came out and uh, he he kind of called, he called him out, um, he called Matt Ritchie out, on Wolves' equalizer, he was pretty mad about how he played, and Matt Ritchie, not happy about it, called him a coward for for kind of doing that. Again, it's one of those things, you know, we mentioned with Tuchel and Hudson-Odoi about how you, you know, you got to be very careful with certain players. Well, you know, an experienced guy like Matt Ritchie is not going to be like being called out in public, and I think Steve Bruce, or Bruce Steve as we call him, may have lost the plot on that one, and, and he went on to, you know, make those statements, and it was, a again, Another sign that this team is fractured is the fact that this got out. You know, a good team will say, okay, this happened. We're going to keep it in-house. But that team is falling apart. Again, I wouldn't be surprised if Fulham catches them. They're, I think, three points behind here with a handful of games left, a decent amount for them to pull that off. Uh, Another thing is that I'm not sure if anyone has heard this. It was kind of the first I had heard that uh, there's an idea out there for refs to give a brief explanation to fans about VAR decisions because, you know, we're going to have the fans coming back soon and it's a potential that the refs, you know, fans at the stadium do not see the same images that we see on our televisions when we're watching at home. It's important to know that those fans at the game, they're literally looking at the board, and the board says, you know, VAR deci- or decision, goal or no goal, foul by, on, on such and such, penalty for such and such. It literally is just writing on a board. They don't see the same thing the ref sees. So there was thought about allowing the ref to come out and explain, uh, you know, what has occurred so the fans know. Discussions took place in Belfast actually last year about how to improve the communication to fans over the use of VAR technology. And again, that is to explain the referee's decision around the stadium. And it involved supporters hearing a final decision and a brief explanation from a referee. But again, fans would be unable to listen to match officials during the process. So it's like, you know, those that watch hockey, you know, they'll they'll review a play and then the guy will turn his microphone on and come to center ice and make the call. It'd be something like that, except with, with soccer. Uh, but that apparently has been put on hold briefly. 
So we'll see if that eventually happens. What's what is your take? I want to know, people. What do you think about refs explaining the VAR call? Let us know at the footy corner two to give my two cents. I say no. Why? I mean, what would? Why would you do that? The reason I say that is because aren't we worried about how much time is being taken up already by the VAR check? So for them to come out, it's going to take, you know, for them to give a good explanation, generally you'd think it'd take another 15, 30, 45 seconds, and this is what people are upset about. So my thought is why don't you just show, you know, what happened on the board video of what's occurred and then and, and put the ref's decision, and they could probably tell what the ref was thinking. If the ref disagreed with them, well, you probably know what they may have thought by seeing the video. So, again, that's something that I think is a hot take, and I, I think there will be people that disagree with me, and that's okay. I'm ready to hear it at the footy corner, too. Let us know. Again, I'm just saying we're trying to get this game moving. We're trying to get streamlined, and, you know, people already don't like VAR taking up our time. Now imagine this ref coming and giving you an essay about why your team's goal didn't count. You're going to have a lot of people that are uh, extra kind of pissed off about that. So we have a little update here on our fantasy football lad from last week, the guy from Norway, if you recall, uh, that released the information on Jack Grealish being injured. Well, there's recent news that the Norwegian-based at Insider underscore FPL, that's the account in case you still want to follow it, which tracks the fantasy football teams of Premier League players and staff, has made headlines uh, after, you know, they they physio had taken Jack Grealish out. Again, no news had been made public, so those that hadn't listened to the last podcast, I'm just going to go over it again here by the club, but then when the teams were announced, Grealish was absent through injury. And Villa manager Dean Smith was not happy, obviously, that it was public because it allowed the opposition to prepare for a non-Grealish side when originally they would have prepared for Jack Grealish. So it's now being said that at insider underscore FPL or who we know as Henning is what we what we announced last show. It's not in this article. They will no longer publish the names of backroom staff with fantasy Premier League accounts, but it will continue to flag which club a particular account is linked to. The names of players will continue to be revealed and accounts belonging to a Premier League head of performance analysis, club doctor, kit man, and even a club's uh, chef all continue to feature on the timeline. So if a guy gets food poisoning like jo- like Jordan did in Utah, you would know. So there are concerns about sensitive information, but despite that becoming public, many Premier League players' accounts also continue to feature. So for instance, Diego Yota transferring Adrian into his starting 11 ahead of Liverpool's trip to Sheffield United last weekend was highlighted. The goalkeeper went on to make his first club for the start since October in their 2 nothing win. Uh, so again, less than a month after going online, Insider underscore FPL has highlighted around 100 transfers in and out of fantasy teams belonging to players and staff. So again, that will go on, but they will not reveal, I guess, names of who is doing these moves. And again, it's, it's a free... I mean, who's to say they can't do that? That's really, to me, on the teams themselves or, or the, the staff of the team... You know, they should try to find a way, if they can, to be as anonymous as possible. So that's one of those things that, I'm. you know, you can't blame this guy. This guy put together an amazing algorithm. 
has done a fantastic job. That, to me, is up to the people to have better security if they want to stop this from happening. So that's what I think about that. Uh, let's move on to something that Steve and I talked about. We mentioned very briefly the Lee Mason decision. If you recall, Brighton had a free kick. He blows the whistle. They take the kick. He blows the whistle apparently just before the ball goes over the line, uh, calls it a no-goal, then calls it a goal, goes to VAR, and then calls it a no-goal again. This man was confused. You want to talk about bald fraud, you're talking about Lee Mason. Uh, And it's been said now that the former chief the former referee chief, the head honcho of the Zebras, the head honcho of the Douches, former referee chief Keith Hackett has told Mason he should consider retirement after making a fool of himself at the Hawthorns on Saturday over Lewis Dunk's disallowed free kick. So he pretty much came out and said, you know what, you've made a, you've made a complete mess of yourself. You need to retire. Uh, as of now, Lee Mason has obviously not retired, but it is important to note I don't know if you guys remember, we mentioned this in December on the show. Nuno Espirito Santo has hit out at Lee Mason this season, too. If you recall, he was fined 25,000 pounds because he called the referee not good enough after his team lost to West Ham in December. So this isn't the first time that Lee Mason is being called out. And for a ref to be called out so many times, I, I get it. We've talked about this. It's a difficult job, but you really... The best ones are the ones that no one knows about because they didn't have to hear about them throughout the game. So again, it'll be interesting to see how that how that plays out. Let you know this week we will not have a Mount Rushmore, but let me go over the results. Um, well, actually, you know what? Sorry, there's still three hours left in the poll, so we'll let the results go. I will say, as of right now, as of the recording time, and there are three hours left, and I'm sure by the time you listen, the poll will be closed. But I sit ahead of Steve at 60% to 40% in Mount Rushmore of Premier League players under 23 years old. Again, under. I had Bakayo Saka, Christian Pulisic, Phil Foden, and Reese James. Steve had Trent Alexander-Arnold, Eberiche Eze, my boy, Steve Bergwijn, and Ferran Torres. Again, I'm up 60 to 40%. We got about three hours left on that poll. I will announce the official results on our next show. So with that, again, we won't have one because obviously I don't really do Mount Rushmore against myself. That would be bananas. Uh, And I'm pretty sure no one would listen or vote. So due to that fact, what we're going to do now, because we said we'd put on this episode, let's now go to Nonce of the Week. You are a nonce, You're a nonce, mate. And this week we have decent candidates is what I'll say. The first one is a guy that we've heard of on this segment before. We've heard of on this show before. It's the former Barcelona president, Josep Maria Bartomeu, again at it. Remember, he he's the one that fell out with Leo Messi a while ago, if you recall. And then not too long ago, he was ousted as their president. Uh, he actually, sorry, stepped down, but really he was going to be ousted. Well, here's what he's done now. The police in Catalonia have reportedly arrested the former Barcelona president, Bartomeu, and other high-ranking officials following a raid of the club's uh, no-camp offices on Monday. So what does that raid entail? Well, the raid relates to the Barcagate scandal from last year in which it was claimed the club had paid a social media company to plant online criticism of key Barcelona figures. These morons paid money 
to social media companies to slander or criticize Leo Messi, Pep Guardiola, even former people, Xavi, Gerard Piquet, and many others. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what the point of that is. Are they trying to drive the price down? Are they thinking that it's going to get the players to play better? PK, who's one of the players that was targeted, he did speak out about this last October, and he said it's a disgrace the club actually spend money to criticize us. He's not wrong. He says it's an atrocity as a Barcelona player to see my club spending money, money they've now asked for from us. Think about that. Because they are a team that is in dire straits. They're about to go bankrupt to criticize not just external people with a previous relationship to the club, but the players still here. So, you know, again, there were many people involved in this, but this all comes back to Bartomeu, who is just a giant nuts, big clown. Let's now go to one that, uh, it's a bit, this one's a bit disgusting in my opinion. Uh, there's a leading horse racing trainer out in England, goes by the name of Gordon Elliott, and I'm not sure you've heard of this, but he's been temporarily banned from racing in Britain, horse racing, right? He's a top horse trainer. After a picture of him sat on a dead horse emerged, he has since apologized for this. Uh, but again, this is being investigated by the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board. The British Horse Racing Authority has banned him until it is uh, completed, adding uh, it was appalled by the photograph. So he will not be allowed to race horses in Britain while this is going on. He did admit that the photo was genuine and apologized for his actions. I don't know why you'd even think that's a good idea. Who the hell goes out and takes pictures on dead horses? That is bananas. So again, uh, he has entered horse races in Britain, but but again, they're not going to let the horses that are trained by him run in Britain at the current moment of time while this is going on. So owners of the horses that are currently trained by him are permitted to transfer to a different trainer because that's, that's not on them. I mean, that's just, to me, that was bananas. Another thing that's absolutely bananas, a really renowned and well-known coach, it's kind of shocked me, Creighton's Greg McDermott, you know him as, as I said, a coach of a, of a mid-major out in Omaha. His son played, and they were really good. Um, Doug McDermott, who is now in the NBA, obviously, or maybe he's not anymore, he was. So Greg, Greg McDermott uh, made a really, for lack of a better word, uh, maybe ignorant, I don't know if that's the right word, he, his lack of awareness showed here. Yeah, I think he made an ignorant statement. I think in no context should this even be allowed. He basically said after a game, after a loss uh, over the weekend, I believe it may have been to Villanova. Uh, it was a kind of a big game. They lost to Villanova. They were ranked 14 and Villanova was ranked 10. Uh, again, McDermott, it's important to note he's white and, and um, he said that he, he mentioned this in the post-game talk. He said, guys, we ha- got to stick together. We need both feet in. I need everybody to stay on the plantation. I can't have anybody leave the plantation. And again, this came after, sorry, they lost to Xavier 77-69. to 69, So they've been on a bit of a losing streak. Uh, this has opened up a lot of conversations. Uh, again, Creighton has a, diver- a racially diverse roster, including several black players. Uh, but... You know, again, it's a thing that I don't even know what makes you say something like that. And so Creighton is in this position that they haven't 
they haven't done anything yet outward. He apparently offered to resign. It came out today. But that said, you know, what do you do with that? I mean, this, this, is, a, this is a coach that has, has been around the program for a long time. He's led him to big things. I think he's trying to apologize. But, again, do you, do you set an example? Do you set an example by saying that no one is immune to doing something like this? Even if they apologize and claim it's a slip, is it a genuine apology would be the question. So again, Greg McDermott, for using a a plantation analogy, has made nonce of the week. And finally, I have to do this one. I think um, you got Governor Greg Abbott. He is the Texas governor who has lifted the mask mandate. He has opened Texas 100%. Uh, He has issued an executive order, GA34 is what it's called, that lifts the mask mandate in Texas and increases the capacity of all businesses and facilities in the state to 100%. So I understand what you want to do with your businesses, but here we are in March, almost one year past when we, when we first went into this uh, kind of pandemic over here, stateside. And we're getting the vaccine in, and you have people getting the vaccine, and you decide now is the time you're going to lift this. You think now is the best way to do it when everyone has not been or had, sorry, I shouldn't say has been, everyone has had the chance to be vaccinated in your state? To me, this is a bit ignorant. And again, it goes along with that, just Texas, as, I mean, they should just be a different country because you had Ted Cruz announced the week earlier. Now you have their governor, Greg Abbott, announced the week here. So, again, uh, for Texas, for lifting the mask mandate. So who do we have again? Just an overview. Joseph Bartemeo, uh, the former Barcelona president, for trying to plant criticism of current and former players paying to get criticism. Gordon Elliott, who's, been, who's a horse racing trainer. He's been banned uh, due to a picture of him sitting on a dead horse uh, arising. So he's been banned from Britain, soon to be banned from Ireland. Uh, from doing that, and we'll we'll see where that goes. Greg McDermott, the Creighton coach who urges players to stay on the plantation in a post-game locker room talk following a loss. And finally, Greg Abbott, the Texas governor, who has lifted the mask mandate. And I really don't know which direction to go in with this because this is a tight race. I'm between McDermott and Abbott. I think in both cases, in one, they're setting a bad precedent, and in another one, they're setting danger to a bunch of people, in my opinion. So with that said, let's go to the week 27 predictions, a a normal match week. We'll call it a normal match week plus one. So these games range from Saturday to Monday, and then we have a stray Wednesday game that I've just kind of thrown in so that we can make the predictions on on that one uh, because we may not get to a recording by that time. So let's go ahead now and talk about the fixtures. We got Burnley hosting Arsenal first thing Saturday morning at least uh, 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central, 4.30 Nikhil time. I got Arsenal 2, Burnley nil. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I think the Gunners are playing some good stuff, and I think Burnley stinks. Uh, So I think that uh, the Gunners should win this match. Uh, They should be well-rested. They haven't played for a week entering that match. They did not play midweek like a lot of other teams did. Sheffield United playing Southampton. I got Sheffield United 1, Southampton 1. Southampton is in a tailspin. They've been awful. Sheffield's played respectable, decent. I got Danny Ings scoring in this 1-1 draw again. 
Aston Villa hosting Wolves. I got Villa 1, Wolves nil. Sometime, somewhere, Ollie Watkins has to score. This will be the game. Brighton hosts Leicester. Brighton's been playing fantastic stuff. And even if they play fantastic stuff against Leicester at home, they have the the potential to blow it. You've seen it the past few weeks that they've played great soccer. They lost to Palace on a late goal. Graham Potter has just has just been befuddled by some of the ways that Brighton finds to lose. And yes, you know, I, I realize that they also outplayed uh, West Brom and missed a couple penalties. But hey, that was an L. So doing that against those teams, I think they lose 2-1 to Leicester. And I think Jamie Vardy's finally going to get a goal back here. Liverpool hosts Fulham. I've got Liverpool 2, Fulham 0. I, I just don't think they lose six in a row at home. That is That would be bananas. And I've got a crazy goal score. I think they're going to rotate because... Fulham is the right time to do it. you got a Champions League match midweek. So I think Diego Jota is going to get some time, and he's going to get a goal. He, he came on for a little bit today. He will play this match. He will score. Manchester City and Manchester United play on Sunday in the main event probably of the weekend, the big game of the weekend. Probably the first. There is a 1A and 1B, and, and maybe some will call this 1A, the Manchester Derby. But United has played in a lot of boring games. We've talked about how United has played 0-0 games against other quote-unquote top six teams. They did play to a 0-0 draw earlier in the year, but I think Man City is a little better now, but just 1-0 better because, like I said, United just plays in these nil-nils. I think City will get one, and that'll be from Gundogan, and that'll be enough. Tottenham and Crystal Palace play uh, at Tottenham's new stadium. I've got Tottenham 2, Palace nil. Harry Kane. Again, will be interesting to see what kind of lineup Jose Mourinho puts out for that one, considering they just played today. That game will be on Sunday, the late game on Sunday. We go to Monday, Chelsea hosts Everton. That, to me, is game 1B of the week. Weekend, week, because it goes into next week. But I think, again, I saw something from Everton that was a bit of weakness early in the match, and that if they give those openings to a team like Chelsea, especially the way they've been playing under Thomas Tuchel, I got Chelsea 3, Everton 1, and I feel like this is an Olivier Giroud game. I haven't seen him in a while, and I think he's going to show up in this one. West Ham hosting Leeds in the other Monday game. I got West Ham 2, Leeds 0, Mikel Antonio to be the goal scorer there. And then we got Wednesday, Man City against Southampton. I have no idea who's going to play in that game, so it'll be tough to pick a goal scorer. But I think in that one it'll be City 3, Southampton nil, and we'll go with Gabriel Jesus. Okay, so that'll do it for that. We will pick starting that Newcastle game. I know Newcastle Villa play on a Friday. We will have a pod before that. Those picks will be in the next week's segment. Again, so that's 11 matches for week 27, even though that Man City-Southampton game is in week 33 showdown. Let's now go to the gambling corner. And as I said uh, on Twitter, I think, and I mentioned it maybe on the pod, I'm not sure. The intern has, or I think it was on Twitter, the the intern who's coming back for their job has until the end of the weekend to update us on the gambling corner and our prediction standings. Okay, so let's give that that. And if the intern doesn't do that, I will take over because over my spring break, then I will have a chance. But we'll see if the intern can redeem himself. And get the Bielsa bucket back because currently the intern is sitting on a stack of my class papers. So let's see if the intern could do that. Now, two weeks ago, or two match weeks ago, I should say, 
I had a very good gambling corner. If you listened to me last week, it probably didn't go so well. So in this case, I'm kind of hedging a bit where I could either win a little bit or win a lot bit. And if I lose, um, it would be thanks to Arsenal because my first bet here is to put seven of the ten on Arsenal at minus 167 against Burnley. I just feel like they've been playing better, and I don't care that it's at Burnley. I think it's a good shot. Minus 167, I'm putting seven bucks. That'll win you 420. It's not huge, but I think that that's a nice little safe haven there. So that for if the next three that I'm going to put on a big parlay, if I lose that, still win 120. If I win it, it's huge. So what I'm going to take, I figured I got three bucks. Let's try to make some madness with this. Taking West Ham at plus 108 hosting leads. And I'm taking Leicester at plus 180 at Brighton. Again, West Ham plus 108 versus Leeds. Leicester plus 180 at Brighton. That brings it up to plus 482. So if you put three bucks on that, you win 1447, my friends. So that's what I'm going to do there. Uh, looking forward to a weekend of hopefully everyone has relax, relaxation, a good weekend, enjoys the soccer. There's, there should be some good matches. Hopefully... The players, I know there have been a lot of matches, and generally, because of that, there tends to be a drop in form. We're going to have Champions League in Europa next week, so people will be rotating. But let's hope for a great, solid weekend of soccer. Hopefully, everyone else has a great weekend. And with that said, let's take it to someone that, yeah, I guess I'm over, and I'm hoping this guy has a good weekend, too. Unai Emery. Good evening, Alexa. Please, to play uh, my favorite song. Good evening, 